Alright, open your Bibles quickly. Let's start with that to the book of Mark, chapter 5. Now, I'm going to just, um, it's our school of prayer again. I just want to bring out a few things, and I will use that one to continue to declare God's word. Um, if, let's read from verse um, 21. The book of Mark, chapter 5. It said, when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. So And so he stayed by the seashore. In verse 22, we read, One of the synagogue's officials, called Jairus, came up, and on seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her, so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him, that is, Jesus went off with Jairus, and a large crowd was following him and pressing on him. Now, please notice the interruption that came into the journey from verse 25. In that large crowd following him, a woman who, a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had, been, and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. He said, after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. Why did she do that? For she thought in herself, she thought, if I just touch his garment, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up. Let me rush through that because it's not my story. We know the story, the rest of what happened to her. And then Jesus stopped in verse 30 and began to ask questions. Who touched my garment? And they took a while. The disciples wanted to know why will you be concerned about one person touching you when we know that a large crowd, read in verse 24, was pressing on him. So he said, a large crowd is around you. And why are you saying one person touched me? And the Bible says that in verse 33, the woman came forward trembling and said everything that happened. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, he said, and be healed of your afflictions. Now, what I want to bring out is from that is that there was interruption into in his flow. There was interruption in his journey. So there was a delay caused by the ministry to that woman who we all know very well about her story. Now, in verse 35, because of that interruption, things got worse back at home for Jairus. The Bible says, while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? There was a delay in the Lord arriving in his house. And in that process, things got worse over there. So they said, no need for the teacher to come. But the Bible says in verse 36, But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, that is Jairus, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. Now, please, let's read that in a literal trans- the way he said it. Because sometimes when we take this in English, we miss out the point that he said exactly. I want, the alternative rendering in my Bible says, don't be afraid, only keep on believing. If you have the Amplified Bible, you can confirm that in verse 36. He said, overhearing but ignoring what they said. Jesus said, I like that one, overhearing but ignoring 
what they said. That was when they said, don't trouble him anymore. The girl is dead. He said, do not be seized with alarm and struck with fear. Only keep on believing. You had invested money, started the business. The week after you started, <laughs> you heard that the value of the Naira has changed from 150 Naira is now 270 Naira. You understand? And you depend, of course, your business requires a lot of things that are imported. Are you getting my point? Which instantly increases the, the overhead. Jesus said, ignore what they are saying. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He turned to this man and said, don't be alarmed and struck with fear. Only keep on believing. That's what I want to emphasize. He said, the Bible says here, this is amplified. He, was, he ignored what the news said. He ignored what everybody was saying. He just went to the man and said, do as I have done. Ignore what they are saying. I don't know whether you get the point. Yes. And he says, don't be seized with alarm or struck with fear. Only keep on believing. The reason why you started that thing in the first place was so that you can make progress. It was because you believed that things could work. Your friends all ran away. They left one place and moved to another place. But you said, because I believe God's word, I can prosper in that land. Now, news have come to you to tell you that things may not work out the way you thought they would work out. And this is the response of the Lord Jesus. He said, ignore what everybody is saying. Don't be seized with alarm or struck with fear. Only keep on believing. Hold on to that word that caused you to start what you started in the first place. Hold on to that reason. And don't let things around, all right, change your mind. He said to him, only keep on believing. Now, let's just read the next verse. And he permitted no one to accompany him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. We have read about this before. And one of the reasons why he did this was so as to increase the ambience of faith around him. We talked about that then. He said, when he came to the house of Jairus, he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. People who are complaining about how many of the pipelines have been bombed. People are disturbed about the fact that they believe that Islamic militants are going to overrun everybody. He saw all of them there making noise. So what did he do? He said, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. My situation has not died. He just thinks I'm a bit rough. I don't know what I get what I'm going to say here. That is my life, all right, has not ended. Things may not look as good as you think they should be looking. Things are not as bad as they look. They only appear because if you see from a distance, you see somebody who is sleeping and somebody who is dead, you may not be able to tell the difference. In fact, one of those things we have to learn as a medical student and also as a nurse or if you are a professional in health, they will have to teach you how to decide somebody is dead. Because you can go and bury a living person just because the fellow is unconscious. It happens, and I mean. So you have to, look, you have to go through methods to be sure that, oh boy, don't, if I remember one stuff I read long ago by one very accomplished um, surgeon. He was telling the story about his early days in life. One day he was in school. They brought a patient. He, chucked, he just got a check, checked, and told them, oh, this guy has died. And the one senior doctor just pushed him aside, brought out home big needles, stuck in the guy's chest, drew out one large portion of blood. The guys had begun to beat again. That day he couldn't sleep. He said, I just satisfied the living person dead. <laughs> he gets him my boy. A more experienced person came and proved to him that, look, this guy is not dead. It's just that, well, long story. They stabbed the guy in the chest. Blood came out of the heart and wrapped the heart. So the heart didn't have space 
to move. So it appeared as if the guy was dead. All right, if you want to know the word, they call it cardiac tamponade. All right, but somebody who had more experience just said, come on, move aside. Jab the needle there, drain the blood from around the heart, giving the heart more space to move. And that guy was alarmed. That what? And that was the week before he graduated. Are you getting my point? He said, my God, what have I learned all these years? We're <laughs> just on the experience about his early days in life. Now, so why I told that story is that, you see, sometimes somebody who's dead and who's asleep may appear dead to you. Now, that's even on physical level. On spiritual levels, Jesus could see beyond. That girl was physically dead. Those people understood how to be sure that you are dealing with a living or dead person. So, but Jesus came, listen, I know exactly what is going on. This girl is not sleeping, is not dead. She's only asleep. So he said to them, don't be alarmed. I'm putting many things together now. Let's keep on believing. The fact is that this girl, why, why is all, what's all this commotion about? Who told you that your life has come to an end just because you know they were, you heard next week they are going to lay off half of the people that are working in your, in your, in your company? Or maybe they started last week and you got your own letter this morning. Are you getting my point? And this is unfortunate because, you see, your rent is due in about, you know... <laughs> <laughs> you know, in just about three weeks' time, you're supposed to pay rent. And today, now they're giving you quick notice. Listen, the things of life can make you alarmed. They can make you become alarmed. You can be struck with fear because of those things. But Jesus said, why make all this commotion? The girl has not died, but she's only asleep. And then they began to laugh. Those that had information began to laugh. They explained to you that you don't know what the Islamic people have planned. They plan to run over Nigeria. Every corner of Nigeria is going to become Islam. Let me tell you something. Just by the way, just by the way. All right, don't get alarmed. You know what I've been saying to you? Don't be alarmed. Are you getting my phone? Let me give you some facts. Number one, you cannot Islamize, Islamize anybody. You can Islamize the system, but individuals cannot be Islamized. I don't know where you get the point. Christians are notorious for one thing. They don't change their minds about their faith. They are known for it. You see an unbelieving Christian. You say, this guy, he doesn't love God, doesn't come to church, he does not give up friends, he doesn't love anybody. Next time they put a gun to his head, deny your Christ, say, lie, lie, shoot. You wonder, where did he get this boldness from? This boy doesn't come to church regularly. Christians are notorious. Are you getting what I'm saying? They are notorious for it. They are known for it. If you ever watch this film, cover this. It's an old movie. When they were burning the Christians as a stake, throwing them to the lions, all right, throwing them to gladiators, doing all kinds of things. Nero came to them, to the dead bodies, and saw all the bodies were smiling. <laughs> that they all died with smiles on their faces. So he said, look at them, they're smiling. This Peter must have cast a spell on them. That was his conclusion. That Peter must have cast a spell on them. He said, something singular has to be done to him. Because he couldn't understand, why would I be killing people? Look, the testimonies are plenty. Christians are notorious for it. They can live uselessly when they are alive. At the point of death, when you say deny Christ or die, they say, shoot. You would think it's a joke. So don't worry, nobody is Islamizing anybody. That one is certain. Are you getting my point? These are your children that you think that they are my children. They are the ones that are worst. They will not change their minds. If they have gone to one Sunday school one day, Somebody told them that you know, persecution can come. They will be so happy. Say, is it what you call persecution? <laughs> so don't be alarmed. Are you getting my point? These are the realities I'm just talking about. So back to the point I'm trying to make. So things happen. People who think, seem to have the information, they start telling you that you don't know what is going on. The other day, you know, the moment they change the value of um, the naira because of the, uh, the 
the trading they now do with Naira, which is officially now, in one day, the value of Dangote's wealth dropped by $6 billion in one day. Why? Don't, don't, like, don't, don't let those things move you. Because the truth is that they just calculated it on paper. So as I yesterday, they said, okay, they were calculating for him all this while at 197 Naira to the dollar. So when they moved to 280, thereabout, they recalculated and said the man is $6 billion less, all right, rich than yesterday. <laughs> Are you getting my point? Is it changing the refinery he's building? No. Is it changing the business he's doing? It does not change it. So many people have information, they will come and start telling you and start laughing that this problem I've always had with you Christians. You don't know reality. You live in a realm, or are you getting my point? That, you know, you, in fact, you are just deceiving yourself. You can't see what is going on. That's the problem I have with you people. They will start laughing. Look at what Jesus did to them. They began laughing at him. The next thing he did was that, but putting them all out, he took all of them out, pushed them out, took along only the child's father and the mother, who I believe, I'm convinced about it, she was of faith as strong as the father's own. Took them aside and brought out his three companions. Remember, there were only three people he came with. Peter, James, and John. And entered the room where the child was. Then taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talita, kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up or arise. The Bible says, immediately, the child got up and began to walk. She said she was about 12 years of age. And immediately they were, complete, they were completely astounded. He gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said something should be given her to eat. Now I want you to understand something here. What did he do? He moved everybody aside. I got to my office today. One man, he likes to talk. Um, he doesn't have any other job than laughing about what's going on in the country. He said, ah, have you heard? I didn't know what he wanted to talk about. I said, I have not heard, and I don't want to hear. I don't know what, what happened, though. He said, I'm Ogun State. I said, I haven't heard, and I don't want to hear. He tried to tell me I left him. He followed me. <laughs> because he followed me, my door was close to where I met in the general office. He was hanging at the general office when I came. And my office door just like two doors away from there. When I saw him following me, I went past my door. Because if I enter that office, I'm done for today. He will follow me into the office and tell me what I needed to hear, as far as I was concerned. So I walked past my office. So I moved one direction. I look, check whether he's following. I moved like that until I realized he got tired of trying to follow me. So when I saw him, I turned back. And I went back to my office and went in and closed the door. I put him all out. Are you getting my point? <laughs> I put him all out. Don't come and worry me this afternoon. I just want to get, look, please, I don't want to hear. Listen, these are the things Christians have to do. And you'll see where I'm going in a moment. Although I'm already there, but I need to emphasize some things more. This is how we react when things are happening around. Very important. This man could have gotten discouraged. Of course, he was going to be discouraged. But the Lord quickly interjected and explained to him, if you want your miracle... You have to close your ears to what everybody is saying. If you want your miracle, you have to keep on believing. It's so important we read that because that's exactly what he said literally. In fact, if you have a New American standard like I use normally, it's an, you see, it's a side note there that he said, keep on believing. That's how the way the Greek came out. 
And the Amplified just gave it to us straight like that. That you must be persistent, all right, in believing. In the face of contrary situations, you must be persistent in believing. You must not change your mind. The reason why you started. Now, you see something else I want to say quickly. Let's open to the book of First um, Samuel. Uh, uh, there's something I want to bring out from there. First Samuel chapter 13. Now, this was the first battle that Saul, or let's give it the proper word, the Saul was um, commanding after he took over as king in Israel. Verse 1 says, He was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned a certain number of years over Israel. Now notice verse 2. He chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. Um, sorry, I'm just trying to rush our space. Of which 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, while 1,000 were with Jonathan. Now verse 5. Now the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. My father, do you know I've never noticed this before? This man assembled how many? 3,000 people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The men who came against him, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen. And people like the sand, which is on the seashore in abundance. If you notice something, I'm not going to read that now, but if you read the preceding verses in verse, um, um, what do you call it? Like in verse 2, he chose 3,000 people and sent the rest of the people away, each to his tent. Now when he was not coming to battle, he had this kind of people against him. Now notice verse 6. When the men of Israel saw they were in a strait, for the people were hard-pressed, then the people hid themselves in caves, in thickets, in cliffs, in cellars, and in pits. But some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal. Now, please, I want you to follow this. And all the people followed him, trembling. They were afraid. Now, why did Saul do what he did? Or why did Saul do what he did? What happened was that he had had a discussion with Samuel. We don't have the details here. Although Samuel would know, he told him that, wait for me, I will meet you, and will offer the sacrifice. So he had had a discussion with Samuel. And because of that, he was waiting. I believe that it's one of the reasons why he chose only 3,000 people. We don't have those details. Are you following my point? Now, he was supposed to wait for Samuel to come before they would get ready for the battle. Now, notice verse 6, 7 again. The Bible says, as for Saul, he was in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Now he waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. Please, are you seeing confusion? 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as numerous as the sand on the seashore gathered against him. And Samuel did not come as he promised. Verse 9, so Saul got tired of waiting. So Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. That is, after waiting for seven days, ten more minutes, Samuel will have arrived. After waiting for seven days, 
Just one more hour, Samuel would have been there. And they said, Behold, Samuel came, and Saul went to meet him, to greet him. But Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, Because I saw the people were scattering from me, and you did not come within the appointed days. And that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Three reasons. One, my people were going away. My money was finishing. You must get what I'm going to say here. All the money I had to pay salaries was beginning to come to an end. The people who were with me, they were disappearing <laughs> one by one. Secondly, the troubles against me was mounting. The Philistines were gathering at Michmash. And Ajans is number two, that's number three. And secondly, that's number two. You did not work the miracle the time I believed you would do it, God. By now, you should have brought breakthrough. Before economy went this way, you should have done something. These were the three reasons why this man decided to do what he did. He had good reasons. Doubt is not refusal to believe. That's not what doubt is. I've said it many times. What is doubt? The reason you have not to believe. Doubt is that congent reason. Saul had three reasons. That's what's called doubt. One, trouble was amassing. Two, you didn't come when you said you would come. Three, the people with me were going away. My money was finishing. Are you getting my point? That was why I decided to do what I was not supposed to do. Now listen to what Saul now said. The Saul said these three things and said, Therefore I said, now. Please, what did he say? First three words of your Bible, verse 12. All right. If you are using KJV, shout it loud. Then said I. If you are using New King James, let me hear it. Then I said. Then I said. If you are using New Living Translation, let me hear yours. So I said. My own New American that says, therefore I said. Know those three words, though. So I said, therefore I said. Based on these three things that were gathered against me, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me. Now the economy is going to come down against me. Now my landlord is going to come down against me. Are you getting my point here? (laughs) Now they are going to come down against me. And I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself. I knew it was wrong. I knew as a Christian, I shouldn't do this. I knew as a Christian, I shouldn't start all this bribing and kickback and doing inflated contracts. I knew. But I saw the economy was going bad. I saw that trouble was mounting. I saw that school fees were becoming... uh, Are you getting my point? I saw that my younger ones who are supposed to pay their fees, they are coming home next week. I saw all these troubles. And I thought to myself, and I said, since you have not yet worked the miracle, dear God, that you were supposed to work. One young woman said to the Lord once, to said to her friends, because when you want to talk to God, many times, you know, we'll go and pray. But he actually hears the one you say, say to your friends. Those that fear the Lord spoke often one to another, and the Lord heard. She had believed in God for her husband. And she opened her mouth. And let me tell you something. The way we describe this God, I think we need to re-describe him. Apostle, write it down for me again. 
I said we have to describe Christ. We have to describe God. Another message series. Who is God? Because people don't know him, they insult him every day. American preachers taught us that God is a father. He doesn't do anything that is bad to his children. He loves them all the time. No matter what you do, he's always loving. He will never, never... Israel, your friend, I will never, never rebuke you. That is not even up to half of God. I want to say that's half of him. Is God loving? Yes. Is God kind? Yes. But let me tell you a few more things about God. His eyes are so pure, he doesn't look at iniquity. So when he sees it in his children, he doesn't look in their direction also. Let me tell you about God. Nobody mocks him. Even Jesus was afraid of him. The Bible says he was, he was heard in that he what? He feared. Jesus went before him and prayed, Father, it was begging. Let this cup pass over me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I remember one, one of those days when we were small children. My friend and I gathered when they were talking. And one lady there said something about one other lady in their church or fellowship. I don't know, was it in fellowship that they had become church? But we're just leaving school. Yes, we are left school in their church. I said, oh, that girl has such a close fellowship with the Holy Spirit. She knows the Holy Spirit very well. Just sometimes you hear her talking, say, Holy Spirit, ah, how can you tell me to do that kind of thing? Lie, lie, I can't do that kind of thing now. And I looked at her, I felt like saying, you are, you are very stupid. Not your friend. You that came to me to tell me my friend has, he knows the Holy Spirit so much. God will say, do that. I say, how can I? If my wife tells me that, you know, they, that is my wife, oh, adult, woman, educated. Yet I think it is wrong for her to tell me, how can you? Tell me to do that kind of a thing. I can't. I will look and say, so, what, what insolence? I will start speaking scripture. <laughs> Have you not read? And she's the only one that can even date. It won't cross Israel's mind to tell me that. Apostle Kimote won't even imagine it. I won't go to my office and somebody say, Oh, you say, how can you? They won't date. Why? Respect. Nobody said I go beat them. Yet somebody has a whole close fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Say, how can you? You have close fellowship with an evil spirit. You don't know it. <laughs> you have fellowship with your own spirit. You don't know it. Paul one, don't grieve the spirit. God in heaven. I looked at all of them smiling there. I said, do you know what they're talking about? If Holy Spirit was talking to you, you should stop. If you were driving, you park. You bow your head. Speak for thy servant listeners. But you know, this society, people are raised up to think that freedom means you talk to your seniors anyhow. I was saying that, you know, you talk to your friends. It's not just when you are praying. When you're talking to your friend, God is hearing. She was believing God for a husband. Remember that story now? That's where I was. And she told her friends, 
that have given God till December. If he doesn't do anything by December, then I am going to offer my own sacrifices. I am just, I can't stay like this. I will just find a man who will give me pregnancy. She declared to her friends, I'm giving God till December. Now that's why I started talking about the fear of God. That's why I can tell that people don't, that we preachers have spoiled the description of God. If you understood him, even if he thought of that, you won't say it. And if you thought about it too much, you want your thoughts that please fear God. Fear him that can kill the flesh and then throw the soul into hellfire. Fear him. If you did not know about him, fine. But to open your mouth and say, I have given him till December. If he doesn't do anything, I will start committing adultery and fornication. So I can have what? A child of my own. And I know that I get, at least he won't say I didn't try. I gave him till December. <laughs> After waiting for him for five years to do something. He's a computer that I push something, he press a few buttons, he produces results. They, look, you know, the day of judgment, eh? God will have two cues. The people who did wickedly will stand on one queue, and the queue right beside them are the pastors who taught them how to do wickedly. <laughs> so when God wants to punish, you say, who's your pastor? Say, that's him. <laughs> you think I'm joking. You know what James said? If they say, come and be pastors, run. James said that your own punishment now, double. And we know from the Bible that they say Jeroboam was punished for two things. The sin that he committed and the one that he made Israel commit. That's why pastors, people say, they say, you're not a pastor. They say, praise God. <laughs> Daddy, have you heard? I'm not a pastor. <laughs> I don't know whether you're getting my point. It's a job you should be afraid of. My wife had never heard me pray this prayer, but I prayed almost every other day, if not every day. I said, God, please teach me the truth so I don't tell people that which is not right. I prayed, God is my witness all the time. I can wake up at night and just sit down. I just see that people are listening to me. Thousands of people, literally. One brother that was talking, he was giving me history of his life. I didn't even know, and I know him very well. He said when he left school, when he was about to leave school, when school closed, he said to go home, that he spent six months behind listening to me. Ha! Huh. I told you guys, that was why I began to fear my life, self. I started checking, have I been saying everything that is correct? It became a prayer point for me. God, please, don't let me say things that will lead people astray. Because for a girl to stand up and say that, somebody gave her boldness. Somebody told her that her tithes will speak for her. Somebody told her that her first fruits will speak for her. Somebody told her that if she give a special seat, we speak for her. She's done all of these things and it hasn't spoken. So she turned to the Lord and said, listen, I'm going to give it to you December. Apparently, you don't work. You know, they say the word works. You, you don't work. For all the seeds I have sown. That's the, listen, that is the only reason somebody has boldness to talk that kind of nonsense. Because somebody made it look to you like you can't demand if you had come begging for mercy, you'll have been thanking him that you're still alive. 
That's why I said we need to talk about God again. The girl said, I know it is wrong. That's why I'm waiting till December. When December comes, so I'm warning him ahead. He won't say I didn't want him. I'm serious. He won't say I didn't want him. You see a child of yours about to commit iniquity. You didn't give him high breakthrough. You are at fault. That's why we're reading this. He said, how did Samuel react? Despite all these excuses, Samuel said, you have acted foolishly. Despite the excuses, remember what I said doubt is? Doubt is... The excuses, thank you. The reasons. <laughs> Today I was talking to somebody. He said, ah, that thinks you're going to marry another wife. I said, what happened to your wife? Ah, hmm. he began to tell me. He said, daddy, my wife just told me in front of everybody, you're a very foolish man. In my mind, yeah. <laughs> On the surface, I said, why did she say that? In my mind, what happened? How will you get to the point you say openly in front of their nanny, in front of the children, that you are a very foolish man? If you ask her now, she will give you reasons why she did that. But you know what Samuel said to her? You have acted foolishly. Your excuses are not good enough for doing that which you know is wrong. Someone react. He said to Saul, despite all these excuses, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel. But now, your kingdom shall not endure. Instead, the Lord has gone to seek for himself a man after his own heart. And that man, God has appointed him as ruler over his people. Why? Because under pressure, you did not keep the commandment of your, of your God. Did you see that? Why did I read it? I'll tell you the reason why I read it. What did God expect him to do? That's why I read all of this. God said, if I told you don't touch the sacrifices, don't move until somewhere comes. Even if the Philistines overwhelm you, stay there and die obeying me. That's what God wanted. That's why I read all of this. That your God has given you a was a lila in your life. You are not to participate in bribery and corruption. God has given you a word that in your life, I don't want to hear. For some that something as trivial as maybe. I don't want to hear that you call somebody to beg for favor. Say, but my children are hungry. God said, then get ready for you and them to die. Until you have that commitment. That says, I will follow God even if it means I die in the process. You are not ready for breakthrough. You know, I always like to put through a jab as this gospel of give so you can get. You will not prosper unless you are ready to give until you are poor. And then you say, I don't have money because I gave everything to God. Until you are ready, to, until you are ready for that, you are not ready to prosper. All this one I have given God, you must return. You are still joking. Poverty is just waiting behind the door. Prosperity is for those who are so committed to him that if he collects everything, he says, fine, 
naked we came into this world, was it not his money? Who gave it to us in the first place? Those are the people that he wants to prosper. Not those who are saying that I have given him 15 naira, so he must break through upon me with 5,000. Those who will prosper, those who say that, that will say that 50 naira. How did it come in the first place? The other day, Yinka told me about a man who calculated, was it Yinka or Gabriel? Gave me information of a man who calculated the cost of oxygen that you breathe per hour. So that you know that you are owing. What am I, why am I talking about this? He said in simple terms, what I expected from you was to wait. I said wait, you will wait. All those pressures should not change, you, change your mind from waiting. Remember we started with what? Keep on believing. Can you remember that? What was God saying? <laughs> One man said something once. Somebody was saying that, you say you are believing God. You will just die. He said, good. When I'm dead, please bury me and write on my tombstone. Here lies the man who died believing God. One day, John G. Lake was telling the story of why the, the miracles they saw in South Africa. He told the story of how they didn't have money again because something, all the mission support they were getting from the U.S. disappeared. So he called his men back from the fields. I said, guys, there's no more money. You guys can return home. Ah, uh-uh. So they, they told him to wait. Say, wait outside. Why did, they say, why did they say he should wait? Let them talk among themselves. When he came back, they accepted communion. They are sat in a circle. And said, come back in. He came back in. He said, we want to let you know. We will not leave the front because there's no money. He said, we ask you for only one thing. Because they said there will be hunger. People will die in the process. He said, we ask you for only one thing. Anytime you hear we are dead, come and do the burial. And he said, he buried at least 30 of them. They went back. They didn't have money. These are white men. Went into the bush, the jungles to go and preach. No support whatsoever. They said to him, when you heard here we died, the only request we are asking, come and do the barrier. So he said, when you see power flowing in our ministry, say that is the reason why. <laughs> what was Samuel saying to us all? You should have waited, even if you died waiting. What did Jesus say to that man? Don't change your mind for a moment because of the circumstances. He said, keep on believing. You know, obedience and faith are the same thing. Faith is the same thing as obedience. Because when faith is in the heart, it provokes obedience outside. So when Jesus said, keep on believing... What does it manifest? It manifests in continual obedience. Now, another point I should quickly make, which is the one that's actually pertinent to our discussion concerning prayer today. What was the first sign of disobedience? What was the first sign of unbelief we saw? Go back there. Verse 12. He said, therefore I said. What was the first thing? Therefore I said. Paul talked about the spirit of faith in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, we having the same spirit of faith, we believe, therefore we speak. When God spoke to Jeremiah, I guess it was in his early 20s, 
He was a priest, one of the senators of the priests. I don't know how old he was. Maybe in his, his late teens or was a young boy. God said, I have appointed you a prophet. You will go before kings. You will speak against a nation. <laughs> he said to God, I am too young. He said, I am but a youth and I do not know how to speak. One thing God told him is simple. Do not say. He said, do not say, I am a youth. Do not repeat that excuse. Don't tell me what the environment is telling you. Tell the environment what I am telling you. I don't know whether you're getting the point. He said to him simply, do not say I am a youth. He said, why? Because everywhere I send you will go, and whatever I tell you to say, that is what you will speak. Listen, don't worry about how I will do it. You just say what I said you should say. That was, it. that was the beginning and the end of the commandment. Therefore, God said, this is a word to you today. You are not to say, because Saul said it like this. I saw the circumstances, then I concluded. And then I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. Now the economy is going to wipe out my dreams. Now I will not be able to achieve those things I thought I would achieve. I have thought that by the next, over the next 10 years, I should, be able to, I should be able to complete a small bungalow and dash to my father. As a sign of honor. Now I will not be able to do it. God said the sin is not in what you saw. The sin is not that you are broke. The sin is that you opened your mouth. And said, and once you have said, it provokes all kinds of disobedience in your soul. That's when one of your cousins will call you and say, oh boy, ah, there's this arrangement, you two, you will get a visa. Are you interested? Because you said, you will say, Abe, go ahead, help me out. He said, the only thing is that, no, we have to write that you are married. He says, just business, God understands. Please, I want to give you a commandment, uh, sorry, a suggestion. Go and read this book. Uh, go and listen to our series, The Habitation of God. I think it's one of the deepest messages I ever preached. Yes. That was the time I told, that is the other day I told my wife I'm feeling very bad about some things. Wife, well, I remember some things I preached in that place. They want to talk about the habitation of God. <laughs> if you tell somebody, I'll see you in the morning. If you go in the afternoon, it's a sin. Go and listen to the messages. I'm not saying you should start thinking that you're not condemned, amen? You are forgiven of all your sins and iniquities in the name of Jesus. Mercy upon you. Amen. I was telling my wife that I said, this thing I'm doing is not good. I'll tell some people, ah, I said, ah, okay, I'll call you by tomorrow. One week later, I'll tell my wife, you know, I told that person I'll call seven days ago, six days ago. I'll feel like a sinner. You know why? It's a sin. I should feel like a sinner because if I don't call it a sin, I won't repent. You may say, oh, Pastor Man, is that possible? Listen, go and read the story of Samuel. The Bible says, not one word he spoke fell to the ground. That's what. No, think about it. You think Jesus will tell you, I will call you tomorrow, and you won't call? MTN had better wake up and obey the Son of God. Let me tell you the truth. It, I want to just digress a bit, all right? Let me digress for a moment. If Jesus said, I will call you tomorrow, Tomorrow morning, he picks his phone. 
tries to dial the number. They say, sorry, you do not have enough credit for this call. Have you, have you been in that situation before? 